Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. We are dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals, including animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and appreciation. We broadcast from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia. Live streaming and recent podcasts are available via the 3CR website. All podcasts are on the Freedom of Species websites and iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Emma Townsend. Hey y'all, this is Natalie from Blue King Brown and you're listening to 3CR. Support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. There's been a little bit of a victory in the last couple of weeks. It looks like we'll be waving bye-bye to breed-specific legislation in Victoria, which is great news, and we'll be speaking to Bruce Poon, the convener of the Animal Justice Party Victoria, later on in the program about that. I'll also read out the RSPCA, their response, as they still have some concerns with what was put in the recommendations. A couple of years ago, when the legislation was introduced, Freedom of Species did a program in which Dr Kirsty Sexel a former head of the Australian Veterinary Association, this is what she had to say about breed-specific legislation. A lot of media coverage nationally and internationally has uh, spooked people to think about certain breeds being potentially more dangerous than others, where realistically, as I said before, all dogs, given the right circumstances, can bite. Breed-specific legislation, is there any part of it that you agree with? The simple answer to that is no, because... What we find with breed-specific legislation, it makes out that certain dogs or breeds of dogs are more dangerous than others, and that's simply not true. It's a a bit like saying all females are like this or all blondes are like this, and and what we do when we specify particular breeds is is single them out as if they're particularly different um, from other breeds of dogs, and we know genetically there's more variation within a breed um, than is a crossbreed, so science doesn't give any evidence to that and the bottom line is just because you look like something doesn't mean you behave in a particular way so again going back to my analogy I'm a blonde female you know we have a stereotype idea of what that might look like but does that actually mean that I'll behave the way that perhaps uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe and Doris Day were depicted in the movies. Unfortunately in the UK 
it currently stands that there's about 300 dogs that have been seized just this year by the police and they're all facing euthanasia, basically. Uh, Most of them, as I understand, just because of their looks. Today we speak with Shakira Free-Miles, who is working really hard to campaign against breed-specific legislation in the UK. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. My name is uh, Shakira Free-Miles. I'm a veterinary nurse uh, in the UK working in London. Most of my career has been in the charity sector of animal welfare. And then outside of my work, I run a campaign known as The Savables, which is a veterinary-led campaign against the breed-specific legislation. I qualified in 2009 and then I was always very animal welfare driven. So I always wanted to work within sort of animal welfare charities. So luckily I was given a great opportunity to work at a a lovely uh, animal welfare charity, uh, which was a rehoming centre as well as a veterinary clinic where we would carry out a free bull breed neutering. So any any bull breed type dog could come in to be castrated or spayed for free. So we, we saw a lot of these types of dogs, which obviously I absolutely loved. I'm a big bull breed fan, as I'm sure you can tell. And on the rehoming side, we would have dogs coming in stray dogs that would come in, young dogs, you know, pregnant bitches that would come in for rehoming. So in the UK, we generally keep any stray dog for seven days. But I then learnt that any dog that was a bull breed type would have to be looked at by what we call here a DLO, so a dog legislation officer, which is a type of police officer who has been apparently trained to identify illegal breeds so the DLO would come in and look at a dog before rehoming because it's illegal to rehome a dog which is is a suspected prohibited or illegal breed in the UK however there's no age limit on that and then I would see young young puppies coming through you know you vet check them when they come in then on, on the seven days they'd be looked at by DLO and then they would then be put on to our list of euthanasia so and I could as as puppies so the DLA yeah. you know said that well this looks like a, a dangerous dog and it might just be a puppy so it was put on if yeah. they are uh, put on the euthanasia list yeah I mean I was shocked I had no idea and being somebody that's so animal welfare driven, I was really upset with myself that I had no idea that this was going on. No, nobody was talking about it. So, you know, I voiced my opinion as everybody did, but, you know, our hands were tied working there. It was horrible. I did refuse to do it and I was never asked to do it, which was very good of them because it was just too much for me to cope with. And then I went on to working in other charities and I didn't see it as much depending on where I was working. But it kind of just came really relevant to me that no one was really doing anything. And as vets and as nurses are expected to basically kill these dogs based on their appearance, the industry was, I don't feel is or was doing enough to, to deal with this. And we're the ones that are having to euthanize these dogs, which is clearly having no sort of positive impact on public or on animal welfare. How long ago was this, Shakira? Probably about four years ago, but I was quite young then, you know, I was quite young and and didn't really feel that I had the power to do what I'm doing now. So the breed-specific legislation laws over there as they stand at the moment, explain them for us. 
Yeah, so there's two sides to it. So we've obviously got the stray dog side. So all anyone that's rehoming a dog as a stray or as an abandonment or as a neglect case, that dog, if it's a bull breed or a staffy cross or anything like that, has to be looked at by a DLO. And then that dog will pass or not pass. So it will either be put to sleep or it will go up for rehoming and, and that's the end of it and the dog gets a new life. Whereas with owned dogs, you could be walking down the street and you've got a dog which is just a short-coated, muscly-looking, mongrel, staffy-type dog and your dog can be taken off of you uh, as you're walking down the street by any police officer if they suspect that the dog is a potential uh, pit bull-looking type dog. So this law came in in 1991 and they had a couple of years to basically get rid of their dogs or or sign their dogs up to go onto a register. So if your dog is seized, your dog will then be placed in solitary confinement for, for God knows how long. Sometimes this can be up to two years while it goes to court and then the dog may be lucky enough in some sense to then get put onto the index of exempted dogs. Once your dog is on there, the dog will have to be microchipped, neutered, have third-party insurance, must be muzzled at all times when in any public space, including your own car, um, and has to be on a lead and walked by somebody over the age of 16. And you can also not leave the country for over 30 days within the year. So these are the dogs that haven't even committed any... Uh, signs of being a dangerous dog, they've just been seized as being uh, purely because of their looks. You are tuned in to 3CR 855am, Freedom of Species. We are chatting with Shakira Free-Miles from the Save a Bulls organisation in the UK. Can you tell us about Stella? Yeah, so Stella was seized by the police based on, a, I think it was a Section 3, so I think she was maybe barking or, or seemed out of control. The owner had a couple of criminal activity-type convictions already, so I think he was probably under the surveillance of the police. So Stella was seized. I think she was barking at the police at the time. She was taken away and impounded, and she has been impounded for the last two years where she's not been allowed to be walked. And I think that's what's caused some, you know, real sort of uproar within the public eye. And luckily, the BBC has publicly sort of announced this. It was one of the biggest stories read on that day. Luckily, a, a really sort of brave girl called Laura was a whistleblower and basically was so upset and, and moved by this poor dog having no human interaction and she wasn't allowed to be exercised. So she was kept in a quite a small kennel of around three foot by nine foot and wasn't allowed to be walked because the police had ordered them not to walk her because apparently she was too dangerous. However, there's obviously lots of reasons maybe why the dog was was showing some aggressive tendencies, probably because of her environment, her situation, the grounds on how she was seized. Yet there's lots of video evidence to show that the dog is actually, you know, wagging its tail and be, you know, giving out quite normal behaviours. But obviously any dog that's been confined for that period of time, you know, would, would, would very much be within its rights to be showing some very abnormal behaviours living in a very alien environment. Stella's story seems to, yes, it, it is a sad one because of the breed-specific legislation, but also is, was it just that certain region in the, in the UK or that council or that pound that decided she wasn't allowed to be walked? Like, that's, just, that's not how all uh, shelters throughout the UK would approach this. 
right absolutely yeah so i mean certain forces will do their utmost to make sure that those dogs are exercised and, and the metropolitan police are you know pretty good about that which is sort of one that covers the majority of london so they'll ensure that those dogs are exercised you know we do have some sort of guidelines for kennels that do house these dogs the rspca have, have released a very good sort of guide on animal welfare with regards to seize dogs so enrichment exercise stimulation how to ensure that the animal welfare welfare at 2006 is, is stuck to but obviously you know keeping a dog in a kennel isn't illegal but obviously ensuring that that dog's mental well-being is sought and, and dealt with is, is obviously very very important I think you know we have we have a big problem here where you know the police are expected or, or maybe feel that they're able to sort of read animals behavior whereas animal behavior is in a very very complex sort of situation and every animal very much is an individual you know a dog kennel garden in a kennel doesn't mean that that dog is going to be a, a dangerous dog you know that dog is just behaving inappropriately in an inappropriate environment but you know most dogs that you then get out of a, of a dog that's you know kennel guarding will be a much better dog and in the veterinary environment you know we're very very used to this you know you can have a dog that's you know might be considered you know quite difficult to handle at the vets but at home the dog's absolutely lovely you know does that then mean that that dog's a danger to society Probably not. It just completely depends on the animal's environment, depending on how the animal will behave. And, you know, I think it's very easy to interpret certain behaviours in a negative way. You know, a dog kennel guarding might be seen that that dog's being aggressive, but, you know, this is a stereotypical behaviour that's probably made that dog learn to cope with its environment, hence why it's it's, it's acting up and, and isn't acting normally. Plus, it's been completely deprived of everything that, you know, these dogs need. They're social animals, so it's obviously very important to them to, to get exercise and human contact. You are tuned into Freedom of Species. We are chatting with Shakira Miles, the founder of Savables in the UK, whose major campaign is against breed-specific legislation. With the example of Stella, people seem to have been more outraged by the fact that the dog wasn't exercised or did it really highlight the BSL issue to be looked at further? I think a bit of both. I think it did more show that um, dogs were being kept in this sort of in this environment um, quite frequently. And there's a lot of dogs, you know, right now, I think we're waiting for about 212 dogs that are, you know, are currently waiting to go to court to be released to go back home. But yeah, I mean, I think with regards to breed specific laws, I think there is huge public backing to suggest that they don't really feel that it's necessary and I think that's quite quite obvious that it's not working with regards to our dog bite increase rather than decrease with the law but I think um, a lot of people don't know about the law hence why they get dogs you know and walking down the street have absolutely no idea that their dog's going to be taken off of them because these dogs come in so many different shapes and sizes and as somebody that has to try and sometimes explain this to an owner and you know the only thinks you're you're crazy because they're like, well, my dog's lovely. My dog's never acted out of control. My dog's great with my children. It sleeps with the cats. You know, she's she's walked by my five-year-old. You know, and it's, it is very, very difficult for, I think, the public and dog owners to truly understand what breed-specific legislation really means and the true effects of it. And even, you know, as myself, as somebody that was very animal welfare orientated, when I truly begun to realise what this meant, even I was very shocked. And I do very much hope that Stella has increased sort of uh, public awareness of breed-specific legislation, but these stories need to be 
kept in the public eye. I mean, Stella isn't the only one that's in this situation. There's plenty of other dogs that are incarcerated right now and on death row. And these dogs have done absolutely nothing wrong. And what's the sad fact is a lot of people don't realise that these dogs are deemed. So on the Dangerous Dogs Act, there's Section 1 and Section 3, which generally affects these bull breed type dogs. Section 1 is, is an appearance-based law. And Section 3 is an offence, so a dog being dangerously out of control. And out of, I think, 126 dogs that were seized on a Section 1, only 16 of those dogs had actually potentially committed an offence, which could be that they've jumped at somebody, scratched somebody, somebody feels that the dog might have been a threat or that the dog has maybe bitten somebody. So the actual statistics of these dogs being out of control is actually very, very low. Since BSL was implemented over there, has there been a decrease in dog bites or dog attacks? (laughs) No. <laughs> so, okay. so since it came in in 1991, well, over the last 10 years, sorry, there's been an increase of uh, dog bites. So the current percentage is 76% rise in dog bites over the last 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So it's a really quite a significant increase. You are tuned into Freedom of Species. We are chatting with Shakira Miles, the founder of Savables in the UK, whose major campaign is against breed-specific legislation. In prior communications, you approached me by saying you really think this is an international issue, and I'm intrigued by that. I think, is this something that's obviously a, a you know, it, an issue in more than a couple of countries? What do you think this says about our, our societies and, and our western human centric culture it's quite difficult but i think a lot of it does come down to people's perception i think we're as the world we're very very brainwashed with certain things i mean you know if you want to talk about speciesism you know we're we're very much sort of you know brainwashed to think it's acceptable to eat cows but not eat dogs you know certainly in the western culture so um and i think the the media do have a big part to play in that with regards to being quite discriminatory against certain types of dogs and bull terriers english bull terriers Staffordshire bull terriers you know all these types of, of dogs are seen as you know slightly more threatening than your poodle or, or your your jack russell for example i think it does come down to a social issue as well you know there's when the education system is quite poor, it does unfortunately breed people that don't really know how how to look after their dogs and maybe will turn their dogs into uh, dogs that have, you know, concerning behaviours. I mean, there's a vet that worked as a vet, sorry, at the RSPCA in Harmsworth for over 43 years and felt that the law was completely dead in the water. It wasn't a success. And he just said, you know, unless you deal with the reasons of why young people fail to get through the education system and fail to get a job, what hope is there of any kind of dog law making sense? You've got to deal with the underlying issues, which I think is really important. I think this isn't just a British problem. You know, we're seeing what people consider status dog issues, you know, all over the world. You know, with America starting off with the sort of American Pitbull Terrier that's obviously now spread you know, worldwide. And obviously you guys are seeing them over in Australia and we see them over here in the UK. But just because it's somebody's choice to own that dog, such as myself, it seems very, very unfair that the law discriminates against people for wanting to own certain types of dogs and you're considered a criminal because you want a dog 
a certain type of dog yeah it's okay for someone that maybe is is highly in sort of fashion and wearing you know someone else can be sort of uh, victimized as, as being a status symbol somebody maybe that's blonde that has a chihuahua you know that's also considered a status symbol and i think we overlook that a lot and we just consider bull breeds as a status symbol and i think we need to remember that you know all dogs are status symbols really if we wanted to look at it like that but I think, yeah, it very much is an international issue. You can see history repeating itself. You know, BSL hasn't worked in any countries. There's no scientific evidence to prove that it has worked in any countries. But there is scientific evidence based showing that once it's been repealed or it's ended, the dog bites have actually decreased, you know, in places such as Calgary and, you know, the Netherlands and, and places like that. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. We're chatting with Shakira Miles from Savables, a campaign against breed-specific legislation in the UK. And I asked Shakira what it means in this landscape when we assume breeds that are used as fighting dogs or hunting dogs are thereby inherently aggressive and dangerous. You know, at the end of the day, I think we have to always remember what truly makes a fighting dog. We could say, right, any dog that's remotely like a pit bull terrier is designed to fight. That's what this dog was made for. But to be honest with you, I mean, in the UK, we don't really see purebred American Pitbull Terriers. Um, I am waiting to uh, get some DNA results back on um, a particular number of dogs to actually look at the real DNA of these dogs, which are considered banned, and they're on the exemption register already to actually prove that breed's got got absolutely nothing to do with it. But, you know, we... We don't really have a major, major problem with dog fighting in the UK. It is around um, and there has been some recent studies and research done into it. And it's still obviously a very concerning animal welfare issue. Um, and the League Against Cruel Sports have recently done some work on it, which has been fantastic. And they are still doing lots of research and undercover work into that problem at the moment. But, you know, I think we often, the government will very quickly say, you know, fighting dogs don't make good pets. But yet we've only got a certain amount of dogs that are banned on our list. And, you know, other countries such as Ukraine have 22 banned breeds. So, you know, what actually what actually is it that makes a fighting dog and why are they considered so dangerous to people when these dogs are designed to fight other dogs, not not to bite people? And I think that's something really important to remember. And these dogs given the choice, will actually not want to go in that ring and, and fight with other dogs. They often will be encouraged to, to behave in that way. There's some awful practices that makes dogs behave like that. You know, sometimes they're kept in, in the dark, in cupboards, in solitary confinement, and, you know, all sorts of awful things are done to these dogs to encourage them to do that. I mean, in the UK, there isn't a particular breed, you know, if that's what you want to call it, of dog that's used for fighting. However, bull breeds are often the ones that are used because they're slightly smaller and more handleable compared to your larger dogs. But there's plenty of dogs which are, you know, listed or or known as being fighting dogs. You know, there's plenty of those dogs. And the Japanese Akita is one. But it doesn't mean that that dog is necessarily considered a dangerous dog with people. So they've been extremely selective about the dogs that they've banned. But to be honest, here we don't really... 
there's no real reports about hunting dogs really being a major issue. I mean, there is with people that are actively fox hunting, which obviously we are all, you know, very, very against in, in the UK with, with foxhounds you know, catching cats, you know, when they're out and about looking for foxes. So that's an issue, but it doesn't really affect breed-specific legislation in this country anyway. How much, yeah. how accurate are the DNA tests now? Oh, um, I think there's always open for discrepancy, I think, with, with anything. But, um, you know, lots of owners, they've got a crossbreed and everyone wants to know what kind of dog they've got. Everyone's quite obsessed with yeah. knowing exactly what their dog is. And a dog is a dog, whether it's a mongrel or, or it's a purebred, does it really matter? I, I personally don't think so. Some of the dogs have, have come back with uh, all sorts of all sorts of different mixes, including greyhounds and all sorts of, of mixes. But uh, unfortunately, in the UK, even if your dog only holds a certain amount of characteristics of what might be considered as a pit bull type, um, DNA doesn't actually stand up in court. So it doesn't matter in a court hearing, but it, it's just an interest, interesting um, sort of research project that we're, we're, we're hoping to get finished. So what matters in a court hearing? Oh gosh, that depends on who your judge is. We do have a show standard that we apparently use. That's only if animals go to court. If dogs are seized and don't go to court, the actual identification process is not done. There's no paperwork to be filled in. You can just glance at a dog in the kennel and, and say it's a pit bull type and uh, then the dog will go into the register and be seized and, and still go through that process, but they won't necessarily go to court or have an or have a expert defence. Um, if it goes to court and they get an expert defence, then the dog will be looked at and identified uh, and the police or DLOs will use a show standard, an American show standard from 1977. However, in court, there's no uh, determination of what makes a substantial amount of characteristics. So if you were looking at a dog that had been seized and the dog's characteristics equal to 25%, that could be seen as substantial, or it could show 39% of characteristics and that could be seen as substantial, or it could show 30% and be seen as not a pit bull type. Mm. So there's no actual, nothing, the, the actual um, term substantial hasn't been determined so that so it completely depends on on the day and the judge and who's involved okay now if to actually go to court if your dog's been impounded by just looking like a dangerous dog the court process is an expensive one yeah so you do you a lot of yeah. dogs would just be euthanized because people can't afford to go to court would that be correct to assume it is in some cases. It, it does depend. Um, here, I think we're, we're quite lucky. We do have access to legal aid. So there is some um, sort of funding that is available. And there are some wonderful groups that um, fundraise on, on Facebook. Um, you know, that, Or if people have run out of money, for example, run out of legal aid, then there are people that will fundraise to help them through it. So you know, obviously, social media has been an extremely powerful tool. So it's been very useful to um, help to help actually save dogs' lives. And there's plenty of Facebook people people that do fundraise for that which has been wonderful but um yeah some some are euthanized some some owners are not giving a choice but yeah finances definitely does come into it let's get back to savables and um how what savables think how this issue should be addressed and how things should change for the future um i think you know we're, we're certainly not alone in thinking that 
the Dangerous Dogs Act needs to be looked at. I mean, it was, you know, very, very much rushed through through Parliament, as every as everybody admits. You know, I think government even pretty much admit that. There's lots of, of evidence. There's lots of, you know, expert people that are saying that the Dangerous Dogs Act isn't working. You know, I think you've got very clear cut evidence from um, hospital admissions and dog bite surveys, which is obviously suggesting that dog bites have increased by 76%. So whatever laws in place, whether it's specific legislation or the Dangerous Dogs Act, we've got at the moment, it's not working. You know, people are still getting bitten, people are still dying and, and having you know, severe injuries from dogs. You know, this is going to be the case no matter what at the moment. But, you know, I think it's very, very obvious with evidence from other countries that it's not working. So, in the UK, there has been government parties and NGOs getting together to try and look at and address the problems with the Dangerous Dogs Act. One of them was looking at something called a dog control notice, which would be much more focused on education, much more focused on the deed, not the breed, and breed-specific legislation would be dropped, which obviously would be it would positively impact on everybody because I think one major problem is that people only think the four-band breeds will bite you, which obviously gives people a very full sense of security because any dog can or will bite you, given a reason to do so. We are quite active in Parliament, so we're uh, members of the all-party animal welfare group. So we're quite active in in talking to MPs, um, writing letters, arranging meetings. One of our meetings recently was was very successful with regards to getting lots of people together to actually talk about both sides of it. You know, the the human welfare issue as well. I think it's very much forgotten about the cost, the actual animal welfare concerns, um, and public safety and animal behaviour, all these types of things. Because BSO isn't preventing dog bites and that's the most important part we have to think about now as a veterinary profession you know our code of conduct is to ensure public public health and ensure animal welfare um and by speaking out as a veterinary profession i think we are very much within our rights to do so because we are there for animal welfare as much as public safety um and i think you know as the ones that are expected to kill these dogs based on their looks alone i think the veterinary profession must really start to stand together on this and learn about it and actually have an opinion and be much more active with the decision making within government with any animal related um, legislation. Tell us more about the human welfare you mentioned. With any discrimination, so racism, you know, sexism, you know, um, any equality issues, you know, we're, we're looking at something that's really quite important here. I mean, you know, it's very unfair to target a human basically because they also suffer when their dogs are taken because of the dog choice that they've made. Now, I grew up around uh, sort of uh, Staffordshire Bull Terriers, and I absolutely adore them. I worship them. They're great dogs. You know, I've had very, very good experiences with them. I've worked with them for over the last 10 years, and I've never, ever had a problem with them. And I choose to work with these dogs because they're so wonderful. And I think that that says a lot about them. So that's that's my that's my choice of dog because I like those dogs and that would be like saying to somebody right because you're blonde you're not allowed to have a have a chihuahua you know it's 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 discriminatory so you know somebody that's walking down the street that has their dog taken off of them because they they like Staffordshire Bull Terrier type looking dogs 
that's not fair. Um, you know, there was a guy uh, recently with a dog called Ice who had his dog taken off of him and he had quite quite bad mental health problems. And they said that he wasn't allowed to have his dog back because he had mental health issues. Yet his dog made him feel a lot better. And, you know, he walked his dog every day. The dog got him out meeting people. His dog was a great sort of conversation starter. The dog really in, enhanced and improved this, this gentleman's life. Luckily, it went to court and, and they won and they got the dog back. Back. but it is it does affect people you know people who get their dogs taken off of them become very depressed they become very upset we all know how important people's dogs are to to them as family members and as a dog owner I cannot begin to imagine the emotional trauma of having my dog taken off of me or having eight police officers turning up at my door smashing my door down because of the kind of dog that I've got you know it's completely unfair um, and you know young boys walking down the street with the dog are far more likely to have their dog taken than say a 70 year old woman walking her staffy cross down the, down the road you know it, it is very unfair and they will target and they will, t will will target those types of people uh yeah can i just um go back to i just need to know the knee-jerk reaction of why the bsl was implemented um all those years ago was there a particular instant why the dangerous dogs act was rushed through yeah i mean i think there was there was a couple of um very ser serious instances um with regards to fatalities dog bite fatalities and i think the government needed to to be seen to have been active and doing something you know i think as soon as it was put in place and then the enforcement started i think they realized that there was no way that um, they were going to be able to reduce the amounts of dogs like this any people terror type dogs but yeah i think it was just you know with uh with a few fatal dog bite um instances they had to do had to be seen to be doing something about it and there was i think three or four cases at the time that's exactly what happened how are you feeling about about BSL at the moment, are you feeling positive that there will be change? Do you know what? I actually, I actually really am. Um, I do spend a lot of time uh, working on this, researching, talking to people, and I think there's so much out there now. There's so much research. I mean, luckily, I've got very good access to lots of peer-reviewed scientific journals, um, and you know, you know, as I was saying, as a veterinary profession, we do have the ability to to show the government evidence, scientific-based evidence, which is how decisions should be made. And I think the next meeting that I'm planning to hold will have for and against BSL within the room, and I'm hoping policymakers as well. Um, and I think they need to understand, you know, why it's not working from all different perspectives, not just a cost problem not just a human problem a social issue animal welfare you know it, it, you know it incorporates so many different things and education education is absolutely paramount and the thing is is a lot of people whenever we go to meetings we go to talks on what they consider dangerous dogs and or whatever they get this very sort of you know negative title you know people will often say the minister um, no minister is going to want to be the minister that got rid of BSL um, because, you know, next time a baby is killed, they'll be to blame or they'll lose their job. But at the end of the day, of course, somebody else is going to have a tragic incident or a tragic death. That's going to happen regardless. We own dogs, we own big dogs and accidents happen. And we mustn't forget that, 
yet yeah, really it's a minister's responsibility to reduce dog bites and that is not what is happening at the moment and the public deserve to be safe the public deserve to know how to be safe around dogs including ensuring that their children are kept safe from dog bites or at least have an idea of how to behave around dogs to reduce that risk and i think you know as the uk stands at the moment we are failing the public because dog bites are increasing they're not decreasing and that's because we we, we go around seizing dogs and prosecuting people. That is not stopping dog bites. It's, it, it's a matter of fact. Bruce Poon, convener of the Animal Justice Party, Victoria, and lead candidate for the Senate 2016. Breed specific legislation hints that uh, we're treating some dogs different to other dogs based on their breed. In effect, it was a law against pit bull terriers that made them more or less illegal dogs. Uh, Apart from a few that were registered before 2011, you couldn't register any more pit bulls. They were fugitive dogs. And if they were hunted down by the council, they were taken and killed. In 2011, we had a terrible incident where a child was killed by a dog, which happened to be a pit bull terrier. And the parliament enacted this crazy legislation as sort of a knee-jerk reaction to, right, that's it, we're going we're gonna to get rid of all dogs that did that and that look like the one that did that. And so they put in place this breed-specific legislation. And all of the parties in the parliament at the time, so Liberals... Labor and Green all supported it. But the impact of the legislation was quite far-reaching in that it wasn't just talking about dangerous dogs. It was making a whole raft of individual dogs now illegal dogs. And they were then at risk of being euthanized because of their breed, their species, or you know their sort of race, if you like. So that legislation came in and it was immediately uh, controversial and difficult because they you know they started killing dogs and a lot of brave owners and their dogs went to court and said you know we're not we're not having it either this isn't a pit bull or even if it is a pit bull it's not a dangerous dog and we don't want him killed mainly they argued that it wasn't a pit bull terrier and the law was quite unenforceable because the people who are there to enforce it, the council officers, are not experts at dog identification and would often be identifying dogs and saying, yeah, that's a pit bull and that's not a pit bull. And they had very poor idea, really, of what they were doing. And that's not to have a go at them, but they're not experts in that field. So a lot of dogs were going through the courts and hundreds of thousands of dollars were being spent on their defence and, the, and on the prosecution. And overwhelmingly, they, they won the cases and they were let go in that they weren't pit bulls in the end you know councils were very wary about prosecuting the law because it was costing them a lot of money and people who owned pit bulls or really people who owned any dog or were concerned about justice you know were were completely
complaining and saying they had to get rid of the breed-specific legislation. So I take it the enormous funds that have been spent by separate councils on these prosecutions, did that alone bring the inquiry into effect? No, that led weight to it, but the inquiry came about firstly because of the, the response of the public, the, particularly you know, the dog-loving public held a number of rallies to complain about breed-specific legislation and put pressure on politicians and the government to do something. Of course, I'm with the Animal Justice Party. We went to the Labor Party when they were in opposition and asked them to look at this issue and to, to guarantee us that they would have an inquiry once they took government into breed-specific legislation and look to repeal the legislation and put in place something much more sensible, something that will reduce dog attacks and protect people without the injustice of killing innocent dogs. Since BSL was introduced in Victoria, is there data on have dog bites or attacks decreased or increased? Yes, yes, there is. There is evidence about that and that was looked at by the inquiry and the hospital admissions caused by dog bites in Victoria has gone up considerably since legislation was introduced. So it certainly wasn't working to the benefit of the community to, to slow or to reduce the number of dog bites. It was just um, a real knee-jerk reaction to sort of be tough and to be you know tough on crime, tough on dangerous dogs and to be seen to be defending the public, but it was really poorly thought through, poorly considered. It didn't work. And the inquiry, which, which Labor, uh, well, Labor did win the election, and they, they have held the inquiry, the inquiry is now finished, it does highlight that the current laws are not working. They're quite ineffective, and something must change. So can you tell us about that inquiry, the results of it, uh, where it stands at the moment, and your response to it? Sure. So, so that inquiry has been held over the last, oh, I guess, 18 months, and it's now finished. And they've handed down their recommendations and their report, which is, I think it's 276 pages, so it's a good read. <laughs> um, but in essence, they've been very diligent, and they've listened to a lot of the things that the community have been saying. They've spoken to experts around the world in this kind of issue. Particularly, they've spoken to people from the Calgary area of Canada where there's a very effective model of dog management. And they've recommended, essentially, that the great, the biting parts, the, you know, the difficult parts of restricted breed legislation be removed. They've, they've basically said it should be repealed. It's not as clean as that. It's not 100% repeal. They're still saying there's a few issues where Essentially, they're saying pit bulls should be registered. They should be allowed to be registered. They should be, you know, um, like any other dog. There still might be some additional restrictions on them being, like, on the leash, for example, um, when they're in public, which don't apply to other dogs. And I don't, I don't really agree to that because I don't think that the breed makes that much difference. But it's kind of a concession. It's sort of a halfway house to complete repeal of BSL. And the other thing that they've inquired into is greyhounds, which is, again, a, another kind of restricted breed. They're not in the restricted breed legislation, but they have got separate legislation that applies to just greyhounds. Now, because greyhounds typically come out of the greyhound racing industry, there's quite you know reasonable concern in the past that they might be 
violent towards small animals because they've all been baited to attack small animals. And in the past, uh, rather than trying to stop live baiting, which is the obviously sensible thing to do and humane thing to do, we've had these laws that say greyhounds must be muzzled and on lead. So I think they've recommended the muzzling be taken away and that the greyhounds should not be required to be muzzled, which is a good thing. But they've also recommended that they still should be on a lead. And again, this is a concession to the, the concern that the dogs have been trained to attack small animals and they you know they don't want to create any more problems with with greyhounds doing that problems for the greyhounds themselves of course as well as small animals so there's i mean there's a list of i think, I think it's uh, 30 31 recommendations uh coming out of the report uh, that does recommend and repealing bsl it does recommend also putting pet ownership as as the central strategy to reduce dog attacks. So we want responsible pet ownership. We want to look to the owner of the dog as the person who's really responsible for the training of the dog, the behaviour of the dog, and we want to encourage that. We want to educate people and, and make sure that that is a system that works to reduce dog attacks. How would that be strategised? Like what would you have to implement for more emphasis on the dog owner being accountable? Yeah, so there's a number of, of sort of strategies there and they've, you know, this is the state government, so to some extent they've passed the, the buck to local councils to do the actual work, as well as the Department of Economic Development, Jobs, Transport and Resources. So they've put it down to the public servants to work out the details, but they've talked about things like sharing microchip information amongst the councils so that dogs are always going to be able to be found if they're microchipped and that they can more effectively suggest that people do register their dogs. That the dogs be returned home where practical. You know, the councils that pick up dogs, they don't. They shouldn't be incented to take them to a pound. They should be incented to take them home. And that's really one way that's come out of the Calgary model where the, the, the government is really partnering with the, the population. Because if, if your dog's lost and is found, then you just want it brought home. You don't want it sent to a pound and then be lost and possibly killed. They want to look at desexing, um, like mandatory desexing of dogs. They don't mandate it, but they want, to, they want to have a look at a more detailed look at that. And basically they want to empower councils to, you know, look at their own bylaws to see if they can do more to both promote, you know, good ownership amongst their residents, but also to find bad ownership and have ownership bans if people aren't looking after their dogs well. That might involve changes to the Domestic Animals Act or possibly even POCTA, but they've sort of handed it down to councils to do the hard work of implementation. Would it be correct to assume it would be an unpopular one for a government in power to detract, like take BSL away, because there's that risk of if something happens again, then they might be blamed well, quite. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always risks in changing anything, and some politicians have made that point to me. Um, I guess in private, that you know, we're we're fearful of changing things because if something goes wrong, you know, it'll be all our our fault. The point is, this inquiry is very far-reaching and and very comprehensive. It was supported by all of the parties in the parliament. So it's not just the government is saying this. You know, against the voice of the opposition all of the parties including the greens are saying these are the right recommendations this is what we should do i would strongly suspect the government is on the path to 
making the changes to the law within this parliamentary term and we'll certainly be on their back about that and encouraging them to get on with it and make the changes. The other thing we, we asked for when we asked for the inquiry was uh, a moratorium on the killing of dogs while the inquiry was held and they did that. They put a moratorium on pretty much as soon as they got into office so that no more pit bull or other dogs were destroyed you know, unfairly. Now, that moratorium is still in place, and I would expect it to remain in place until such time as they've made these changes, because now we, we have a situation they couldn't take it off now because um, they'd be killing dogs against you know the recommendations of their own report that says the whole thing's broken. It sounds like quite a victory that we've gotten to this stage that we'd be saying goodbye to BSL. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think uh, it's... Uh, a fantastic victory for for those who love their dogs and, you know, the, the public of Victoria generally. The government have listened, uh, they've responded and they've inquired and they will make this change, I'm sure. You know, it's definitely progress, making a difference in the life of many hundreds of animals that might otherwise be marginalised or killed. They're going to have good lives. So we're very pleased with what's happened and we're very pleased with, obviously, the, the role that we could play, but uh, in concert with, you know, all of the all of the dog groups and, and those who came out on the street to, to tell the government that uh, it had to change. Is there anything you'd like to add that you think should be implemented that hasn't been recommended uh, or anything about the Calgary model that you'd like to share with us that we should be looking more at? Look, uh, the, the Calgary model was looked at by the, the inquiry and it's surprising some of the language in the report that they seemed a bit, a bit underwhelmed by the Calgary model, whereas a lot of the people in the animal protection movement were quite impressed by it. And I think the, the, it's the vibe of it, Your Honour. You know, the vibe of the Calgary model is that it's, it's the government working in concert with the people to make sure that you know dog attacks don't happen and that dogs are looked after. There was always great care in Calgary. You know, they have a no-kill model, effectively. Dogs aren't put down. Dogs are only ever euthanised, which means, you know, it's in the dog's own interest. But other than that, they take great care to make sure that dogs are, are saved and are given found good homes. Mm. And so uh, it really comes down to people being in that position who really care about the lives of the animals and putting in place you know a whole community model that takes that as the basis now what we've got is some really good recommendations from from this report but no guarantee today or in the future that there's really the understanding and compassion there from some of the people in government in local government and state government uh, that they really understand you know the idea of of justice for these animals and that's something that's just going to take time I think to educate people and have the mores in society change where you know this is the expectation that that politicians do take that view with the Calgary model is there something straight away that sticks out to you with the essence of it that we have missing here because I understand it's a very multi-pronged community centric approach as I understand like they don't even if there's no manda- mandatory desexing for example no mandatory desexing yeah. although it's um, you know sometimes subsidized which is you know a good thing 
there's no limit on how many dogs or cats you can have. You know, it's a very li sort of li liberal um, style of, of law in that there's no, you know, if you're not causing a problem, then, then the government's not interested. But then if you do cause a problem or if you're mistreating animals, then they're very interested and they want, they want, they want to intervene. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to translate the entire system to a different country and a different state and a, you know, a whole state rather than a small province. But I think it's a, it's a dog-centric, you know, set of policies. And some of the language that we have, you know, in our law is not quite there yet. Yeah, it's a very impressive model, uh, the, the Calgary model, and it's, and it's something, they get results, that's the thing. So I guess it's a very interesting model to look at and try and, I guess, emulate in some fashion. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that through these recommendations, we, they've taken, I, I think, what they felt was the best parts of the Calgary model and tried to apply it to Victoria. And now we have, you know, we have to see this implemented and uh, see if we can improve you know, the, the lives of animals and reduce the number of dog attacks over a decent period of time. You know, one of the problems with getting this inquiry was the, the government was saying, well, we just, we just made this law. You know, you know the, we're a government, we move over periods of years and decades and, and centuries, and we just made this law. Why, why would we change it now? Well, because it's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, it's killing dogs. So we won't, we won't live with it. We won't have it. You need to have an inquiry, even if it's only after four years, we want an inquiry straight away and make some changes. I think if we make these changes, we probably need to bed them in over a period of five or ten years and hopefully we'll see the number of dog bites in Victoria going down. tuned into 3CR 855 AM, Freedom of Species. Uh, that was Bruce Poon, convener of the Animal Justice Party Victoria and lead candidate for the Senate 2016. Um, we will now read the RSPCA's response to the results of the inquiry. Uh, they refer to them as a step in the right direction. Dr Liz Walker, Chief Executive Officer of RSPCA Victoria, said the RSPCA welcomed the report's recommendations to lifting the current ban on the registration of pit bulls, which have not been able to be registered since 2011, remove laws that currently require all non-racing greyhounds to be muzzled in public, provide better training for local government animal management officers so that they are better equipped to identify animals at risk of dangerous behaviour, regardless of breed, and strengthen owner education and promote responsible dog ownership. We are heartened to note that committee clearly heard our submission that aggression in dogs is the result of myriad risk factors. Dogs of any size or breed can be dangerous, and temperament, environment, training, owner behaviour, the animal's health and a range of other issues all play a part, Dr Walker said. 
RSPCA Victoria firmly believes that investing in owner education, coupled with the development of a clear system for identifying and managing potentially dangerous or menacing behaviours in dogs, has the potential to be far more effective than the current breed-specific approach. However, RSPCA Victoria expressed concern at the report's recommendation that all pit bulls should be muzzled in public and kept behind secure fencing with warning signs. While we understand that the committee is taking a cautious approach, this recommendation is not at all consistent with the report's overall position that deed not breed should be the determining factor in labelling a dog as dangerous, Dr Walker said. RSPCA Victoria notes that the report clearly acknowledges the difficulties in identifying pit bulls. It's hard to see how placing restrictions on them as a breed could be a workable option. The recommendation to remove demonising restrictions on greyhounds, such as muzzling, with one hand, but impose them on a different breed with the another, seems contradictory. Dr Walker applauded the committee's recommendations to improve the collection and analysis of dog ownership data and create a register of dog-related attacks and incidents. Reliable data about dog ownership, let alone dog attacks, simply doesn't exist in Victoria, which makes it incredibly hard to put in place good laws or policies, she said. Better and more accessible data will make it far easier for lawmakers animal welfare groups and the community to make better decisions about how to tackle a range of different community safety and animal welfare concerns. Dr Walker said RSPCA Victoria would write to the Minister for Agriculture recommending that the government immediately adopt the majority of recommendations in the report. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. International Respect for Chickens Day on May the 4th is creeping up upon us. And so please make it a big one this year. International Respect for Chickens Day is an annual project launched by United Poultry Concerns in 2005 in the United States to celebrate chickens throughout the world and protest the bleakness of their lives in farming operations. The entire month of May is International Respect for Chickens Month. Please do an action for chickens on or around May the 4th. Ideas include leafleting on a busy street corner, holding an office party or classroom celebration, writing a letter to the editor, doing a radio calling, tabling at your local church, school or shopping mall, hosting a vegan open house or simply talking to family, friends or strangers about the plight and delight of chickens and how people can help them. So get your costumes out, start making some wings, people, and be angels for the chickens. That wraps it up for today. I'd like to thank very much Shakira Freemiles from Savables in the UK, very inspiring lady, and also Bruce Poon from the Animal Justice Party, Victoria. If you'd like to contact us, please do on info at freedomofspecies.org, Facebook, Twitter, or the website. Have a great week. Freedom of Species is a show about animals, for animals, listened to by humans. Tune in Sundays, 1pm.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.